Welcome to Life and Godliness. I am your host, Joanna Simpson, otherwise known as Josim. So many of us are struggling, stuck, lost, wounded, and hopeless when Jesus came so we could be free and live an abundant life. He wants us to enjoy him and enjoy life. But how can we truly do this if we are bogged down by life's problems? Well, Life and Godliness with Josim hopes to help persons enjoy life with Christ by sharing Christ-inspired solutions to everyday problems and digging up deep-rooted mindsets that skew our perception of the Father. To quote a popular artist, life is hard, but God is good, and he's patient in our journeys. So join us as we talk about life and godliness. Welcome back to Life and Godliness with Joe on Arrow Internet Radio. We are continuing our discussion on spiritual abuse with Remy Diedrich, the author of Broken Trust. Remy Diedrich is a co-founding pastor at Cedarbrook Church in Wisconsin. He is married with three children. After having his own experience of spiritual abuse and allowing God to heal him, Remy wrote a book for those who may be confused about the experience, may need healing, or may even need to open up their hearts to correction for participating in spiritual abuse. Again, as we explore this issue, we must approach it with humility and the grace of God, knowing that we too can fall into the trap of being perpetrators of spiritual abuse. In last week's episode, Remy defined spiritual abuse and identified some of the traits of a spiritually abusive system and leader. If you would like to hear the full episode, please listen again on Monday at 8pm for the two episodes back to back. Let's go back to the show. Once we identify that we are in a spiritually abusive situation, you know, how should we respond? Well, I, in, in my book, I talk about, I kind of boil it down just to two, two simple things you can do. Uh, you can either uh, stay mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, confront the, the abuse or you can leave. And I think that's really up to the individual. I think that each individual has to decide what it is that God's calling them to do. So, and I don't think you should feel guilty for staying, and I don't think you feel, should feel guilty for leaving. It's, it's whatever you feel you can do and you feel God is calling you to do. Some people, you know, just by their personality, they aren't able to um, confront leadership like is necessary in a situation like that. And so for them to wade into that kind of confrontation would just be way over their head and, and really cause so many uh, emotional problems to them that it would exhaust them. So my recommendation for them is to simply leave. You know, if, if you feel, in fact, someone just wrote me today and in that situation and they said, I'm, I've left my church, but I feel like I should confront the, the leaders even though I'm gone, what should I do? And I said, well, it, it wouldn't hurt to send an email and to let them know why you left and what you're concerned about. You know, if you're respectful and if you're honest mm-hmm. um, and, you, and you can always offer to meet with them if they're interested. So I think that even if you leave, you can, you could still do something like that. You could leave an email or you might say, you know, I'm, I'm going to fight for this church. I've, I'm a part of this church. I love this church. I've got the type of personality that is able to stand up to strong leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm willing to wade into this thing and go nose to nose and toe to toe and try to rid out this abuse because this isn't right and it and it shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. So, conference. So, those are the two basic categories. 
confrontation seems like such pardon a, me confrontation seems like such a strong word to me you know um when i think about so for example there are two scriptures that come to mind so there's the, the scripture that talks about when a brother offends you you know you go to them first alone and if they don't listen then you carry two persons etc and then there is also the scripture um mm-hmm. Where Paul speaks, I think he's speaking to Timothy, and he's saying, "Don't rebuke an elder, you know, um, you know, encourage them in the Lord, you know." So, how do we, how do we confront a leader in the grace of the Lord, um, in a biblical way, you know? Sure. Well, uh, you can do a, a few things. I mean, part of it is like I, I was mentioning to that one person, if they wrote an email, to, just to be sure that they're respectful. Mm-hmm. So. You can you can point things out to someone else, and you don't have to be abusive. You don't have to be harsh or judgmental. You can approach them in a respectful way mm-hmm. and say, you know, I have some concerns that I'd like to share with you, and just be careful how, the words you use and and how you approach it. And I think that's fair. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think Paul was talking about, um, you know someone being respectful, he was talking about being harsh and judgmental and and uh, uncaring as you approach an elder. I would hope people in my church would, would, even a brand new Christian would feel comfortable in coming to talk to me and say, you know, Remy, when you when you preached that sermon, I felt really uncomfortable. I, I want people to have that kind of freedom to come talk to me and tell me what where I might have gone out of bounds because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm a human and I can make mistakes and I want to hear that kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're respectful, um, that's very important. I think it's to be factual, uh, not to bring up just a lot of your feelings, to bring up facts about what it is that you're concerned about. Mm-hmm. I think that that's very fair as well. To be scriptural, you know, if you can point out what it is where where you think that the, the leader has has gone off the mark from scripture. I think that's important as well. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think it's important. It might be important for you to bring someone else with you to talk to the leader. So it, uh, hopefully that person can help keep the, keep the conversation on track. Right. And I saw where you also suggested that um, it might be important to meet at a neutral location, one where the power levels are balanced. Yeah, I think that's very important in any kind of a potentially abusive relationship. If you beat, you know, instead of going to their office, uh, if you meet at a restaurant, and that way, if, you know, for some reason, if it did get verbally abusive, you could just excuse yourself and say, I'm sorry, this conversation isn't going in the way I hoped it would, and um, have a good day, and then you can just leave. So in terms of, um, right, so in terms of our response, and I know you mentioned a little earlier, you want persons to be able to come and share with you, you know, some of the ways your, the sermon perhaps may have negatively affected them. But knowing that pastors endure a lot, you know, one would say you wouldn't want to burden your pastor with that kind of feedback, especially perhaps if there are more than one. So how, you know, how would a pastor, how, how, how do you manage that as a pastor, that type of feedback? Uh, well, like I said, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm happy to it. And, and really, it doesn't happen very often. You might think that we get more uh, feedback uh, than we do, but I, I rarely get that kind of feedback. Maybe, maybe um, that's because people are happy with my sermons. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But uh, even if I, let's say if I had 10 people a week send me an email or give me a phone call and they had a concern, 
I, I would welcome that. I, I, it's, it's a bad sign to me when someone is easily frustrated and dismissive and doesn't want to hear back from the people. That tells me that there's something inside of that leader that uh, isn't open to correction. And whenever someone's not open to correction and is, is always getting defensive, that's a, that's a bad sign to me of, of a leader. Okay. So in terms of, um, you spoke about earlier, uh, our friends, and one of the reasons why we may not want to leave a church and, you know, being the community that we've developed. Now, if we as a person, you know, if we have identified that a, a particular community can be spiritually abusive, is it our responsibility to warn our friends or should we go to the pastor first? You know, <clears throat> how do we approach the kind of friendship fellow member um, situation? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And I think it's a really um, it's a really hard question. It's it's hard to know what to do, and I don't know if there is a right answer. I read a, a years ago when so when I was in this church that I felt where the pastor had become abusive, I read a book and it said that you should. So his answer to your question would be, you should just leave. You shouldn't talk to your friends. You shouldn't talk to the pastor. You should just leave because if you stay and if you talk to your friends, it's going to become very divisive. Mm -hmm. And the church could eventually split, and you don't want to be the cause of that split. And I remember when I first read that, I thought, oh, that's that's so hard to just up and leave your church with all your friends. And and um, it was just very difficult for me to swallow that his recommendations. But in retrospect, as I look back at the situation, I think that is that was wise counsel to mm -hmm. to just leave – and to not say anything um, to some extent. I mean, you just don't want to be a ghost and vanish. I think you have to tell people, you know, I'm leaving and I'm leaving because I disagree. But I think churches, it gets really unhealthy. And I've seen this over and over again. When someone gets upset with the church, then they go to their friends and then they complain. And then it seems like every conversation they have with their friends is now about how much they dislike the church Mm -hmm. And then someone, and then they tell someone else, and then it just kind of spreads like a disease. And that's, you know, you might think that you're justified because of the abuse that you're observing. Mm -hmm. But after a while, I think it gets very destructive. And so I think there's some wisdom in saying, you know, if you don't like what's going on, first, if you feel led to, confront it. But if after confronting it, nothing changes, then you should leave and you should leave quietly and say as little as possible and kind of have a standard line that you share with your friends like, well, this is what my concern is, but you're going to, you know, I'm not going to discuss it anymore. I'm, I'm telling you what my concern is, but I don't want to discuss this with you anymore because you have to make the decision for yourself. Okay. Okay. And that's, that's a very key thing because, um, you know, as we go through some of these situations, um, it can be very easy to slip into gossip and slander and, you know, especially when the person, right. you know, I mean, the truth is that even spiritually, even persons who are spiritually abusive are God's children and people that God loves. And, you know, um, the Lord wants to see them right. the type of life, you know, live an abundant life as, as well. And for the things that may be toxic right. um, within their belief systems to also be uprooted and so if we, um, you know, continue to spread the information in a particular way, then it could be harmful. 
Um, and yes, it could be very harmful to the person. So why do... Let me just add to that because I think you can become guilty of the same thing that the spiritually abusive leader is, is guilty of, and that is manipulating. So if I'm upset with the church or the pastor, and now I go and tell all my friends how upset I am, I can now become guilty of manipulating them to agree with me just to make me happy. Like it, it, it's going to make me happy that all my friends are just as mad as I am. Uh, so really that's being manipulative and mm -hmm. that's not fair. Uh, that's, that's using other people for your benefit and that's not appropriate. If you're upset, go ahead, be honest, tell people why you're upset, but then you need to just leave and drop the issue. Okay, so in terms of healing, um, you know, I think, you know, I was reading um, a, a book today, one of the books that you cited in your book um, by Barbara Orlowinski, and she was just, um, she had quoted another gentleman who had said one of the first important things for healing is admitting that you were abused. That's really the first step in any kind of healing process is, is to admit the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we, it's hard for us to admit, like, it's kind of embarrassing to say that you committed to a church that was abusive. Uh, you don't want to fully acknowledge that because it's embarrassing. So, yeah, I think it's important to say, you know, this was abusive. This wasn't just uncomfortable. This wasn't just um, a misunderstanding. This was actually an abusive situation. And I experienced a loss because of my being a part of that church that yeah that's definitely something that you have to face it, it, admit it and embrace it so you can get the healing that you need mm -hmm. well, what would you say are the other steps that could help to you know foster healing within someone who had who has experienced spiritual abuse well something we talked about in the beginning was the whole idea of shame and the sense of insecurity when you're in a, an abusive situation, what's happening is, is you're being stripped of your identity and you're being stripped of your value as a person. This, that's, what the, that's what the abusive situation is all about. And so I think you have to, one of the things you have to do is rediscover your worth as a person and re, re, because that has been taken from you, that sense of, of, of value. So I think you have to, and this is where God is so helpful because God created you. And if God created you, that means you are a valuable person, but you need to really go back over uh, your understanding of where do you, where does your value come from? Does it come from the pastor who says that you're a good person and because of all the things that you do, or does your worth come from the fact that the creator of the universe created you, loves you and died for you? That's, that's where your worth comes from. So I think establishing your value is is an important aspect of your healing. Okay. I and then the second thing I, I was just going to say a second thing that uh, that I think is important to address is anger. There's going to be whenever you experience loss, you're going to have uh, a residue of anger in your life that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that has to be also has to be acknowledged and and it's also hard to admit that you have anger. No one likes to admit that they're an angry person. So if you can say, you know what, I have some anger issues. There are some things I have to be able to let go of this, which what that's what forgiveness is all about. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to let go of this anger for what this person has done to me. Otherwise, I'm going to be thinking about this for the rest of my life, and I don't want to do that. 
And one of the things that you also said in your book that I found was very interesting is the process of detoxing. There's this period of separation from the church as an organization to allow God to reset your beliefs your belief systems that right. were perhaps distorted by some of the um, lessons you are taught or things that were told to you. Yeah, I think that's that's a part of my book that challenges a lot of people. I think initially some people uh, have disagreed with it uh, because I, it, I really came from my own personal experience. After I came out of an abusive situation, um, I left church and I didn't mean, you know, I didn't leave church saying I'm never coming back. I just... You know, I left that, that abusive church that I've already mentioned, uh, fully intending to find another church. But whenever I went to another church, it just it just felt so wrong to be there. And I can't I can't I can't describe why that is. But I've heard this from countless people who have come out of abusive churches that they they can't go to they can't go back to church initially. It's just it's very uncomfortable. Uh, there's kind of like a post traumatic stress. Um, reaction that they have and that happened to to me and my wife we did not go back to church for about five years well we'd go back every once in a while only to find out that it was very uncomfortable mm. and we finally were able to re return to church after five years and i think i think that's okay i think you need to give yourself permission to not quickly re-engage just like imagine if you were married to an abusive person and they beat you every day mm -hmm. and then you got divorced and then within a you know a week or a week or two you started dating someone i mean that would just be you you just need time to find out who you are and recapture your your sense of identity you 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 can't immediately go back into another relationship mm -hmm. and i think that the same is true with a church situation mhm mm but the bible says um for example don't forget don't um neglect the meeting the fellowshipping of the brethren so how how can we maintain that mm -hmm. for, you know while while doing this detoxing? How can we do this? Sure. This well, I think today more than ever there's 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 ways to have fellowship with people without being formally a part of a church. Mm. Uh, even like myself in my situation years ago, I, I had many many friends, Christian friends that I would have fellowship with, uh, certainly with my life, my wife fellowship with her and worship with her. Um, so there's, it doesn't mean that you have to cut off all association with other believers. Mm -hmm. It's just talking about that organization, mm -hmm. specifically the one you left. But even the, I, I just think we have to be freer with our understanding of what fellowship means. It doesn't mean a church on a corner. It can be a, you know, maybe you join a Bible study in your community. Um, maybe you have fellowship with your Christian friends. Um, you're, you're maintaining contact with other believers. It just isn't an organized church on a corner. You are listening to Life and Godliness on Arrow's Internet Radio. So in terms of spiritual authority, because a lot, uh, you know, in my understanding, a lot of this issue of spiritual abuse perhaps is a misunderstanding of what true spiritual authority looks like. What would you say is a mm -hmm. biblical understanding of spiritual authority? How should it work? <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that there was a, a teaching. Well, it's probably still out there, but I, I heard the teaching years ago. But that, the idea that everyone has to be under authority, and it kind of starts with Jesus, and then, then then the pastor's under Jesus, and then 
the people are under the pastor and then the, the family is under the husband and it kind of goes. And, and, and in theory, I, you know, that, that's fine. But ultimately, our authority is Jesus, is Jesus. And I think, again, I think that teaching that I just laid out was often used to control people and to manipulate people. Like if you're not under authority, if you're not reporting into someone, you're a bad Christian and bad things will happen to you if you're not under authority. It's like, you know, they talked about it like an umbrella that, that when you're under authority, you're under the protection of this umbrella. And if you get outside of that umbrella, bad things will happen to you. And I think that whole teaching is, is can be used in a very manipulative way mm. in a controlling way. And, it, and it ends up being abusive. And so I think people have to, to realize that Jesus is the ultimate authority. And if there's someone over you, you know, a family member or a pastor that is functioning in the, the spirit of Jesus, that's great. They're going to they're gonna add much to your life. But if you're under some authority who's abusive and taking advantage of you and, and using you for their benefit, that's not a good situation to be in. So that's I think you need to opt out of that and say, you know, for now, my authority is just going to be Jesus until I can find an authority here on earth who uh, respects me and values me and treats me uh, in a respectful manner. You know, if I recognize that I'm an abusive um, leader, what what could I do? What should I do? What do you think? Yeah, well, I would... That would be a great thing <laughs> if you could recognize that. Um, I think the first thing you can do is invite people into your life to speak into your life and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to realize that maybe some of my behavior has been abusive and I feel terrible about that. And uh, what do you think? And I wouldn't ask maybe my closest friends, you know, if I'm a pastor, I wouldn't necessarily ask them. Maybe I'd start with my elders, but sometimes they just want to, keep you happy and they, they would the first their first reaction would be oh no 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 that's 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 not true at all and, and you're not going to hear the truth for them from them so I would go to some objective people people who don't have any skin in the game people who could tell you the truth and not feel like you know you're going to get well maybe you will get mad at them but if you do get mad at them that it it's not going to be a big deal to them so I'd find some objective people it might be a counselor it might be some friends outside of your church um, and uh, you know there's a variety of people that you could pick but to tell them what what you're concerned about and see what their reaction is and I think that would help you to to um, get a clearer picture of who you are and if whether or not you're abusive or not mm. I mean if I was you know to hear that that would really be a very weighty um, a way to thing to acknowledge you know how do we prevent ourselves from collapsing under that weight of guilt well I, I I think as as leaders we that's part of the accountability that we've uh, bought into as a leader so if you're if you've committed yourself to have authority over people and to preach this gospel that we've been given that's part of the deal. <laughs> you, you have to be faithful to preach uh, a gospel of grace and not a gospel of legalism. Oh. And if you find yourself having done that, um, yeah, it, it could be weighty. It could 
feel terrible. Uh, hopefully you do feel terrible about it because it's a terrible thing to, to use God and the Bible to use people for your advantage. So um, I, I guess that's just, that's a part of any repentance. Uh, that's the heart. That's why many people never do repent because it's, it is so weighty, but I think you have to be willing to, um, admit what you've done and then you need to go and talk to the people that you've hurt and said, you know, I need to, I need to sit down and talk to you and tell you why uh, the way I treated you was, was inappropriate and I'm not going to do this anymore, but I need to tell you and ask your forgiveness. Mm. Can a church recover from this type of abuse though? I mean, how, you know, I think it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's kind of like, uh, I, I think of a marriage where there's been abuse and, and maybe the husband, Let's say the husband was the abuser, and then after years, he finally changes and he repents from his abuse. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's so much damage in that relationship that it's it's really almost, I don't think anything's ever totally beyond repair. Mm-hmm. But I think many times humans feel like it is, and so they give up, and they, they give up in the marriage. And I think the same can be true in a church where is it, is the church really beyond repair? Well, no. I mean, Jesus can restore anything, but sometimes people are just worn out, and they mm-hmm. say, "You know what? I it's just going to be easier if I leave and mm-hmm. start over someplace else." Mm-hmm. So, no. I, I think I think it can. I think a church can recover, but they're going to have to be very intentional. They're going to have to take very specific steps to to clean up the mess that they created. And if they do it, the problem is, you know, whether it's in a marriage or if it's in a church, we often, uh, we, we don't do a full job of cleaning up. We often only, we only admit to half of what we've done wrong. We only express uh, half the sorrow that we should be expressing. And, and when we do that, it really makes it worse. The people, the people don't get the repentance or the, they don't ask, they're not asked of forgiveness like they should be. And so it actually makes them matter. Mm. And if it, if it's not a a hundred percent admission and a hundred percent expression of sorrow, you know, like a true apologies, it's just really hard for people to do it right. And so it often ends up kind of backfiring. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, how could I, how can I prevent myself from kind of, you know, drifting into spiritual abuse because based on, you know, your own story, it sounds as though, you know, a church can start out grace-based and then kind of, mm-hmm. kind of just end up in a, in a, in a situation where it becomes more legalistic and manipulative and controlling. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I know for, I was just at a conference with pastors and talking about this, but I said, I, I was telling them that I think we have to really be introspective and really, like with my sermons, I write out my sermons. And as I read, as I write out my sermon and then read through my sermon before I preach it, I'm always looking for how people might hear me in a legalistic way. It's very easy to speak in a legalistic way. And you as the speaker, you don't hear it. Maybe you didn't intend it to be legalistic, but it comes across as legalistic. Yeah. And so I think you have to be hyper vigilant to uh, in regard to everything that you say, even like in your announcements. I mean, in, in your announcements, you can you can announce things in a way that imply that if you don't, let's say there's a prayer meeting this Saturday night, 
Um, you can you can simply announce that and say we have a prayer meeting. We'd love it if you'd come out. That's a simple way to announce it. But you can also announce that prayer meeting like, well, you know, people, if you don't come out tonight, what is Jesus going to think if you're home watching TV and the church is is praying? And you know, you you talk about that prayer meeting in a very intimidating way, which the intention is to manipulate people to go to that prayer meeting. So yeah, I think you have to be very um, self-critical and self-aware of what you're saying and how you're saying it, and then talk about that with, with other people. You know, how how does that come across? And when I um, other pastors preach at our church, I always review their sermons before they preach, and I'll challenge them. I'll say, you know, instead of saying that everyone does this wrong, how about if you just say that sometimes some people do this wrong? You know, don't imply that everyone's terrible at prayer. You can say, you know, sometimes we don't always pray as much as we do, rather than saying, you know, we never pray as much as we should. Mm. It's just it's just a willingness to look in the mirror and say, uh, how, what are we saying and how are we saying it? Very interesting. So in terms of there's a lot that goes into the preparation to ensure that um, persons don't receive what is being said as um, legalistic, as you said, and a kind of pressure to conform, but they're able right. to hear, you know, in a sense, the spirits behind what is being said. One of the things um, that is kind of hard to rectify, and this is going back just a little bit, is the fact that we can grow in a spiritually abusive system. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe because it's like if it's spiritually abusive can i really grow you know is this something that is real um is it possible to grow yeah. in a spiritually abusive situation yeah well i think it really depends upon the person uh, i think if the person is very sensitive and very insecure i think it's going to be almost impossible for them to grow because everything that is said and done against them they'll take it to heart and it will just slowly crush them um, on the other hand, I think if you're if you have a stronger personality, um, you might be able to. Um, it's like any hardship. You you can God can use a hardship to actually strengthen you. So I think some people could come out of that that abusive situation stronger mm -hmm. because they they learn to overcome it. I mean, it's like I, I, I've maybe you've heard this, but when people were in the concentration camps in Germany during World War II. Some people gave up and died, and some people came out of it with, uh, they were able to overcome it and come out with a really positive attitude. So it really, it depended upon how they viewed the the, the persecution that they were under. Mm -hmm. And then also because, as you said, the person who might be, the leader who might be spiritually abusive isn't that way all the time, you know, in terms of because their intention is not to harm, perhaps there are times when they do allow the Lord to, to lead them in a way that is beneficial for the church. Yeah, and it's interesting. There's a, there's a church, not, another church not too far from us, where I know people, a few different people that have gone to that church, and some people who go to that church don't think of it as as abusive at all, and they you know they're happy going there, and they don't see any signs of abuse. But other people who are much closer to the leadership, to the inner circle of the leadership, they see it as being very abusive. Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting how uh, different people can perceive it 
the leaders from a different way. If you're if you just go there on Sunday and hear a sermon, you might not see or hear anything abusive. But then if you are like I said on the inner circle, it you might be very affected by the abusive nature of the church. Mm-hmm. And as we um, close the show, I wanted to find out two things before I ask you to pray. Is how do we prevent ourselves now from going on a witch hunt to say, okay, well, is our is our church spiritually abusive? Um, you know, uh, recognizing that because, for example, in Jamaica, we have very passionate um, leaders. Um, we can be seen as a very forceful, aggressive type of people, um, and so uh, perhaps there are persons who <clears throat> whose approaches may appear abusive, but may not be. You know. Um, what advice would you give against guarding against going on a witch hunt? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess not to be uh, simplistic, but to be actively bringing those things that make you feel uncomfortable to God and saying, you know, God, is this, is this just a personality issue? You know, maybe I'm a quiet introvert and this pastor is a, a raving extrovert. And is that what upsets me? Or, or are there issues that are actually here that, uh, are truly, you know, manipulative, and this this pastor is is out to control people. You know, I, we often see it with abusive people. That you can often see it in finances. Um, spiritual abuse often comes in trying trying to extract more and more money out of people. So there there might be some real tangible things that you can point to and say, no, this isn't just a personality issue. This is. Um, I can see an abuse of funds. Number one, they're they're manipulating people to get the money, and then they spend the money on like nicer cars or nicer homes for themselves. They're not, you know, they're not turning around and using that money for good purposes. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're objective and praying and asking God to show you these things, that He'll He'll point out point out what's wrong without it turning into a witch hunt. You know, just I just want to say thank you so much, Remy, for um, sharing, you know, just sharing about this topic of spiritual abuse. It's not an easy topic um, to deal with. It's not an easy topic for those who may be victims. It's not an easy topic for those who may be considered a, per, a perpetrator. Um, but definitely God is interested in both our sides and both our lives and wants to restore and to heal yeah. You know, and just this whole issue of understanding grace, you know, grace, sometimes people think grace can't be offensive, but in a sense, it's so, it's so much different from what we are used to. We are used to a very performance-based society and people using different strategies to control. And sometimes perhaps we bring those kinds of approaches in the church when that's not necessarily what God wants, you know, and that as you were saying earlier, you know, it really has to center around our own relationship with God we need to be able to hear God for ourselves and you know know who God is like for ourselves and not depend solely because the Lord has given gifts you know so that we can become mature but being able to recognize that we have a responsibility to have our own relationship with with Jesus um, so that he can also help us to discern you know, when a leader is going off track and when they're on track and how to encourage or how to confront, you know, and so that relationship with Jesus is very central. And so I just want to ask you to pray for our listeners. Um, 
you know, both those who have been victims, as I said, and those who may have participated in um, a spiritually abusive system. Because, you know, this show is really about restoration, restoration for everyone, you know, because God calls all right. of us to ourselves, to himself, sorry. So I just ask you to pray, please. Yeah, let me do that. So, Father, I, I do pray for everybody listening to this this uh, podcast. Um, as Joanna said, they may have been uh, victims of spiritual abuse. They might be perpetrators of spiritual abuse. And it's hard for both of them. It's hard to admit that you've been spiritually abusive. It's hard to admit that you've been abused. And so I do pray for everybody that they can admit to their situation, no matter what end of the spectrum they're on. God, I pray for a sense of humility. I pray for an openness to your spirit, uh, to the spirit of truth that will come and guide us and lead us into what the truth is about our situation. And I pray that you would show all these people what to do next. God, if they've been abused, does that mean you know, that they should confront the abuse? Or does that mean that they should quietly leave and not cause uh, uh, any fuss? And if they've been abusive, God, how, how can they open their life up and invite correction in a way that will restore them as a leader and that will bring them to the, the church and to the people that they've hurt? So, God, we invite you, as, as Joanna said, we want to uh, create and foster restoration in your church. We don't want to cause division. We want to cause healing. So help us to be healing agents. Help us to be healed if we've been hurt. And help us, the people that have been estranged from the church, to once again be restored to the church so they can be a part of the body of Christ. And I pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen, amen. Thank you so much. Listeners, um, you were listening to Remy Diedrich um, speaking about his book, Broken Trust. You can find the book um, on Kindle and, and you can purchase the actual book, physical book on Amazon. You may also be able to visit my social media pages. That's at Instagram, Journeying with Joe, um, on Instagram, Journeying with Joe, and on Facebook, Journeying with Joe one so that's the number one and i will speak a little bit more about various um issues and points that um remy has made in his book because really god desires healing and restoration in our lives and he wants it now <laughs> you know god is about deliverance and healing now so thank you for listening to life and godliness on arrow internet radio have a wonderful day bye Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you